Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Christ in the Classroom presented by Sophia Institute for Teachers. I'm your host, Jose Gonzalez. Tonight, we'll be focusing on the topic of the meaning of the Mass. Uh, so I think that this is a very timely topic to reflect on uh, because uh, the Mass, uh, as many of us experienced in the last year, quickly became a gift that we all um, took for granted, right? Uh, I don't know about many of you, but uh, it was a very sobering, shocking thing when back in March, um, last March, all the all the bishops and dioceses started shutting down public masses, and um, and, and to be without it for um, for as long. Uh, here in, in Kansas, we were fortunate enough only till May, but I know many other places went longer. Um, I know there's there might be listeners and, and viewers right now that still have not made it to Mass for, for other health reasons. And so um, the whole idea of, of something that we just did every week, some of us every day, and it just went away. Uh, I still remember uh, the that first week um, viewing mass from my living room with my kids and just sobbing at the, uh, at the Eucharistic prayer because we, we couldn't be there. Um, and, and so I think it's important um, if, if many of us uh, have not, I'm sure many of us before, I'm sure many of us have at this point reflected on what does the mass mean? Like, what is it? What is its true significance? What is its place um, in the in the Christian life? And I think it's important to um, to help our students see its true meaning, especially when many of us have students who, even before COVID, didn't go to mass every Sunday, right? So, how do we help them see the beauty of that of that gift? One, I remember one morning. It was, um, we were at my in-law's house uh, in Texas. This was uh, a Christmas break and uh, I was up early uh, and I had just poured my daughter, my oldest daughter, who was three at the time, she's eight now, but at the time she was three, I poured her a bowl of, of Cheerios and milk and she's, she's eaten her Cheerios and she looks at me and she says, daddy, do you know the mass is heaven? And she stopped me dead in my tracks because in that moment, she was making a very profound statement and really probably didn't fully realize it. Now, she'd been going to Catechesis of the Good Shepherd at that point. She's very uh, active in her in an atrium here. Uh, and so it was beautiful to see the fruits of those reflections and meditations that she took part in coming to fruition and her saying something really so beautiful and so profound that the mass is heaven, the mass is, is the heavenly liturgy, and, and, and God himself comes down to meet us, and we are lifted up in worship with the angels. So I tonight, I am excited. Our special guest is uh, Dr. Jeremy Sinkevich um, from Benedictine College, who I've invited. Um, so Jeremy, um, if you are, I'm sure you are there, welcome. Um, so how are you? Are you, are you out there in in, in the in the world of the the internet <laughs> yeah i'm so. supposed to be in kansas but i'm in pennsylvania right now on a okay 
Wonderful. Glad Wonderful. to be here. Whatever here means in a Zoom call, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, so yeah, Jeremy and I actually we were just talking about this before everyone came in. We were connected actually. We met. What? Gosh, it's been six years, five years since uh -huh. we since we first met, and uh, our we were connected by um, a former student. Actually, uh, I had I had him in high school, and then he went on to Benedictine and had you. And yeah. when I asked him, I said, hey, I need speakers for this new, new, new stuff we're doing with Sophia Institute for Teachers. And he said, you should call Dr. Sinkevich. And so, <laughs> so I did. And, and, and we've, we've worked together many times. And so excited yep. to have you with us today. Thank um, you. Do you want to maybe share a little bit about yourself and with and introduce yourself to, to the crew? To the sure. Crew? Yeah, I'm, I'm Polish. So I've been Catholic since I was uh, before I was born, I think. Um, that's automatic with a poll. Uh, I grew up in Kansas City um, and I uh, went to the University of Notre Dame and uh, Catholic University after that. Uh, I've been working at Benedictine for nine years now. Uh, I've been married for 18. I have five kids at home um, who are uh, supposedly helping mom out while I'm here in Pennsylvania. So, <laughs> uh, I've heard good reports though overall. <laughs> and I've got my first, my first, my oldest daughter is planning on going to Bennington College next semester. So it's kind of crazy. Oh, that's a scary, you're, you're at the threshold now where you're gonna have, I know. Gonna have a college student. I know. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still changing diapers and my oldest is eight. So <laughs> we're, we're not to that world quite yet, but. Not uh, yet, not yet. Not yet. Well, um, so in, in talking about the meaning of the mass, I think a good place, like a good question I wanna ask and pose to you to kind of start us off is, I know when I when I taught high school and we would talk about the importance of mass and attending mass, uh, it, and it was brought up that you know if you miss mass on Sunday, that's that's mortal sin. And to a kid, that's just incredibly shocking because they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're telling me that um, that murder is mortal sin, but so is missing mass. How are those even in, like in the same neighborhood, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously that comes, I think, from a very, from a somewhat worldly place, but also a place of not fully grasping the realities there. So how right. would you help communicate that? Um, you know, I mean, obviously you're going to give a, a little bit of a, of a loftier theological answer than we might give to our students, but, but to help us grasp it as well so that we can um, give, give, give that, you know, appease that student in, in their, in their doubts. Sure. So, yeah, I, you know, it's an interesting comparison that the murder and missing mass, but um, too often, you know, when we think about morality, we think God doesn't want us to do this or he wants us to do this. And we should just obey in this arbitrary way. Uh, but it's, it really has more to do with what is the nature of the thing that we're talking about. So I think in murder, when we talk about murder, the reason that it's so horrid is because of not because God says it is, but because of the dignity of the human person and, and the glory of the human being. Um, on the, for the other side of the question, why, why is uh, mass, why is, you know, not, not going to mass so horrid? It's, it's because of the glory of the mass, um, just as the dignity of the human person is, is what, makes, what makes, you know, murder so evil. And um, it, it's, it's sort of piggybacking on the fact that the human person is so holy. The same thing we're talking about here with the mass. Um, now, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know, the meaning of the mass 
we have to go to the center of our faith, which is the Trinity. Um, and when we talk about the mass, we, we have to remember what's happening in it. Uh, what's taking place is something that is an interdivine reality. It's not just, you know, people are showing up and thinking about God and talking to God, but it's in a sense, God, it's, it's the, the love that's happening within God himself. So when we talk about the Trinity, when God reveals himself as he is, he really shows um, the son becomes man and his, his becoming man isn't just this external activity outside of God. We don't, we don't want to think of God as sort of looking at the world as like he's watching TV and he's, he's just, you know, um, kind of wondering what's going to happen next. We have to remember he's the creator of everything and that he's intimately involved in all things. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist at all because he is existence itself. And yet there's this weird thing about God that he's not just this inanimate reality that's just standing there, but he is an activity. He's a movement of love within himself. The son receives everything that he is from the father. He comes from the father. It's not just that the father, uh, that the son's there and the father's there and the son and the father looks at the son. He's like, he's pretty cool. I think I'll love him. Um, but rather it's that this father gives himself completely to the son that the son might be. And this eternal giving, we, we talk about it in the mass, actually, the eternal, that he's eternally begotten from the father. It means that God in the, the father in his love gives the son his being um, in, um, in this sort of, I don't want to call it perpetual because it's sort of outside of time. This is really getting heady already, I know. <laughs> I always tell people to buckle up when they <laughs> start talking. Um, but, uh, but, it, but it is this reality that, that, that the son isn't the son unless the father is, is loving him, is giving him everything. So it's an eternal reality, right? And in a sense, it's what, it, it's what it means to be. If God is existence, if God is being itself, and we all participate in this being, then we must in some sense be this way as well, especially when, and we are, we're like the son, because the son receives everything that he is from the father and only is what he is from the father. We receive everything we are from the Trinity and only are what we are from, from them. So when, when, we, when we think about the Son and what he's doing, um, the Spirit is, is, is the giving of the Son back. He gives himself back to the Father, and, and, and that is the Spirit. It's such, a, it's such a gift that another comes forth from it. Um, when we think about God becoming man, and you think about the Son, we can't think of it in this generic sense that God's up here doing the God thing, and then he comes down here to do the, the human thing just to sort of help us out. Um, instead, he does the God thing here in this world now. So the son being created in a human nature now gives himself back to the father in love and in the same spirit that he gives himself to the father in from the beginning. This is what the mass is though. The son is giving himself back to the father in thanksgiving. And what is Thanksgiving in Greek, but Eucharistia? It is the Eucharist. The, the Mass is the offering of the Son of himself to the Father in the Spirit. Not again, not that we're sacrificing him again or something like that, but instead it's sort of this idea that it's, it's, we've moved beyond space and time and we're entering into this giving of the Son back to the Father. In, in fact, when the priest holds up the Eucharist, um, we think that he's holding it up to show us and say, hey, look what I've got, everybody. Jesus is here. Can you believe it? Right? But it's not a gesture that's directed towards us in the end. 
It's actually directed to the Father. It's the Son as the church giving himself back to the Father in the Spirit. Um, and what, what, what's happening is that we actually participate in this. We give the Son back to the Father. We enter into the Trinitarian life. We are able to, to in a sense, thank the Father by giving the Son back to him. Not only thank him for the Son being who the Son is, but thank him for us being who we are, especially as we enter into the church and baptism. And in a sense, we call ourselves the Son, right? We're the body of Christ. That's, that's a really um, great explanation um, of, of kind of, you know, what's, what's spiritually taking place. Um, I've often heard the Mass um, defined as, or, or really just, I have a very vivid memory of, of, of dinner with a, with a, with a priest in, in, in college. We were in Portugal and, and he was going around the table with all these Franciscan grads like, hey, how would you define the Mass? And we're all like, I mean, we're, we're, we're like, we failed the test. Like, you know, we, we <laughs> and as theology, you know, theology majors here we are in like in, in, in Portugal, like we should, we should know, we should have this like perfect definition of the mass. Right. And, and he, he came back and he, he simplified. I mean, I, I, I know this is a simplification of it, but he said, it's an unbloody representation of Calvary. Right. This is, this is how, how, how the mass is defined. Uh, and, and so when you look at that, essentially, when you take those words, like, okay, so, that, so then the mass should really be revealing and replaying the Paschal mystery in a sense. Um, and, and how is that different from, say, um, I, you know, I had a student who, who started, um, who was a very faithful kid, and then all of a sudden he got to college and he started going to um, an evangelical church. Like he just didn't see the connection of like, well, I'm going to worship. I'm going to Sunday. I'm going to some kind of service every Sunday. So what's the difference whether I do that or the mass? Like it's the same because on, on a surface level, he thought, hey, doctrinally, you all sound pretty close. Like what's the big deal? Like what am I giving up by going to, ma by, by, by just switching it up every once in a while? Right. Oh, so, yeah. Thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, if we start to see the Mass as not just a duty that we do because God tells us to, but instead this, I always use the word cosmic just to mean like epically, ridiculously awesome. <laughs> uh, and my students know that. So uh, it, to do this cosmic thing where we enter into divine life, the way that that happens in a human in a human reality is, is, is through some sort of materiality. Um, we worship by, uh, by the things around us. We ourselves are material, right? I mean, we, we, we are, are bodily realities. So we, we, we have to worship in this bodily way. Um, the, what happens at mass, of course, is the transubstantiation of the Eucharist, meaning that, that Christ himself is materially present with us, that there is that, that the Son, the one who in eternity is giving thanks to the Father for the, for the being of himself as well as the being of the world, is now giving it to, giving this same thanksgiving in our midst, in, in, within us, and, and literally within us when we talk about receiving the Eucharist, right? Um, that we actually enter into this. Now, now, you also mentioned the Paschal Mystery, which is, uh, you know, the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Um, and we talk about what happens at the mass. It, it, it's kind of like we were talking about how 
the giving of the son back to the father, we like break through time and eternity through space um, and, and whatever we want to talk about God's existence. Um, and, and we're able to participate in this reality that is beyond us. Um, in the same way, the place where the reality of the Trinity touches earth in, in the most profound and maybe most substantial way is, is on Mount Calvary uh, at Jesus's death. Um, and so when we enter into it, the way we enter into it is there, right there. Um, there's, a, there's a saying that I heard when I was in grad school, the gospels are passion narratives with long introductions. Um, that the point of the gospels is, is saying Jesus died and giving himself to the father. And in, 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 some, in some sense, I want to say that Jesus's death is the definition of what love is, that he reveals that giving himself, withholding nothing back for himself to the point that he doesn't even exist for himself is what love is. He gives himself for us, of course, we say, right? But he also gives himself to the Father. I mean, his, his, his final, final words are, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It's, it, and it's not to us that he's giving his spirit. Um, I mean, it is in another sense, right? But it is, is to the Father that he is, right? So Jesus, when, when he kind of, before this, when he talks about what love is, before he shows us what love is, he says, uh, John something. <laughs> he said, amen, amen, I say to you. Uh, no greater love has a man than to lay down his life for his friends. And, and I'd like to point out that the word friend in uh, Latin, and uh, I should know the Greek, but I I don't remember it. Uh, the word friend in Latin is um, amicus, which comes from the root amo, which is love. So really the word friend is loved one. You give yourself, you give, you lay down your life for your loved one. Christ fulfills this in giving everything of his life to his father. Not, and so the mass isn't, isn't like a, a reenactment, right? And it, it's not even just a mere manifestation. He's showing us, oh, I always give myself to the father. But it's actually the Trinitarian life happening in the world now um, when he gives himself in this. It's divinity lived in creation. That's what, that's what the Paschal mystery is. That's what the, the crucifixion is. Is it possible that divinity could live in creation? I would have said no if I didn't actually, you know, if it didn't actually happen. I would have, I would have said that can't happen. Um, but God has shown us that he's beyond our even concepts of what can be, re what can be true. So the mass, but the mass is related to this, right? Because in the mass, we give the son to the full back to the father, but the giving of the son to the full back to the father is his death. It is his, it, it is his uh, giving, holding nothing back and giving himself totally to the father. So I always think of mass as sort of uh, the opportunity that we missed before, you know, there's the, the apostles, they're there at the, at the garden of Gethsemane. They, they come, they arrest him. And, and they all scatter and they all run away. And uh, who's at the foot of the cross, but the Blessed Virgin and John and no one else. Uh, in a sense, we can say the Blessed Virgin and John offer the son to the father for the world. Um, so what happens at the mass is we are given this opportunity that we failed at before because everybody ditched, right? Except for, except for those two. Um, it, we're, we're able to participate. We're able to, in a sense, enter into the Marian giving of Jesus to the Father. This, this, this human, uh, this human, not reenactment, but this human um, living, this human living of the divine life that takes place. We enter into that, and we're, it, it's in the blood and the water, 
that, that we sort of are able to, to enter into the very giving itself, stand at the foot of the cross, and in some real sense, be on the cross because we become the body of Christ. Um, especially because, you know, the reception of the Eucharist is the ultimate union that we have in becoming him. It's really beautifully said. Um, to, to push back from like a student perspective, right? Because I, I actually have one of these that I, that I was uh, a former student for a while I was, I was arguing with because he went off to college and he was tired of the bad preaching and bad music. And he decided that what's the big deal of, uh, you know, if I'm going to love, why can't I just love my neighbor by like by by doing community service on Sundays, right? Instead of yeah. going to mass, I'm just going to go serve the poor. And, you know, why do I need to go to mass in order to, to truly love, to truly experience the love of God? I'm going to go, I'm going out to the poor. I'm going to be, you know, Mother Teresa 2.0. I mean, I, I corrected <laughs> with that, that Mother Teresa, you know, spent hours before the Blessed Sacrament and going right. to mass. <laughs> I was right? going to mention that. I was right. going to mention <laughs> right. So, so what's, you know, how, how do you, um, why, why is yeah. the love and the exchange of relationship that happens at mass so important to the active life afterwards? What's happening at mass? What am I missing Yeah. in my mission? If I just, if I skip the mass part, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm so glad you put it that way. Uh, what, what is, what does it have to do with the active life? Uh, I think I think I'm gonna say that the active life only comes from the passive life. And what I mean by passive is not sitting around eating Cheetos on a couch, right? I, I what I mean is receiving first, right? Let's go back to what we were talking about before. The son receives everything that he is from the father, okay? And the son isn't anything unless the father gives him everything. In the same way, we come from nothing, right? We talk about being created ex nihilo from nothing, and that really means from nothing. And so how, how, how do I become what I am? It's only in a, in a mode of receptivity. It's only in the Marian way of saying, be it done to me according to thy word. Whatever you're given, I'm taken. That's, that's kind of what we're saying because, because ultimately we're poor, right? The poverty of the Our Father, which is like a, the prayer of prayers, it's just filled with petitions. It's all like, let me do this, let this happen. Let that. It's, it could sound selfish, and it could be selfish, actually, if we just turn it into that. But what we're really saying is, you are everything. We are nothing without you. So we have to come to you in poverty. And so going back to Mother Teresa, I think the idea of, of being Mother Teresa 2.0 without the mass is, Mother Teresa would be the first one to say, that is an impossibility. The only way that you can become love in the world is to receive love and to become Christ, who is love, to become God, who is love, right? And which is which is really what takes place in the church, which is which which of course only takes place in the sacraments. The sacraments is where it really happens. Um, it, I, we could talk about what love is. Okay, so Thomas says love is willing the good of the other. Um, I think maybe a better way of putting it is being the good of the other, right? Becoming the good of the other, which is when you become their good, you don't become your own good. You become everything for them which is paradoxical because this is what death is. And, and somehow the fulfillment of man is to die. Not, not just to die, but to die for the other, to give yourself for, for the other, right? That's, that's what man is. And in fact, this is, this is what's revealed to us what God is, right? God is his total giving of himself to the other persons in the Trinity. Of course, we're in that as well because he extends that love to us, the same love, I think, to us, right? Because when God reveals himself, he really reveals what we are as well. 
And so if we're to become love, the only way that we can become love is to become love like the son becomes love, which is, yes, giving himself completely, but not giving himself completely until he receives everything first. And so if we're going to, you know, go out to the poor and to help the poor and, 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 and kind of the things that you were saying, I don't think that can happen unless it can't happen in a way that's not either selfish or prideful or, or in some sense, not the fullness of totally for the other, unless it's coming forth from, from a reception of what you really are from, from God. So it's, it's, it's becoming Christ. And that's what happens in the Eucharist. If man's real fulfillment is love, um, then the only way that he can really become love is to enter into divine life because Deus caritas est, as, as, as Pope Benedict reminded us, right? God is love. So in one sense, I want to say, if love, love is the end of man, man is supposed to be love. That means God is the end of man. Man is supposed to, in some sense, become God. Now, what does that mean? It means becoming the body of Christ. It means entering into unity with him in such a way that there's an identity between us. There's a love between us that's like a husband and a wife. In fact, that's the language we use of the bride of Christ is the church and the two become one, right? And so it's only in receiving sort of him that I'm able to enter into the death of Christ and therefore sort of give myself in this total total point to where I die for the amicus, for the, for the loved one. And in a weird way, uh, Christ reveals that the amicus is the one that you love who can be the one who is your inimicus, which is the Latin for enemy, who is the one that doesn't love you, but you can love them. And this is in fact, sort of what he did, right? This is a great line from St. Paul where he says um, that it's uh, that he became, he came to us and died for our sins when we were still sinners, right? Um, there is this idea that he is the one who makes one love, even if they don't love him. And we, we enter into the same reality when we enter into the Paschal mystery in the Mass. But it's in the Mass that we encounter Christ, who is love. And it's in the Mass that we are able to then be sent, which is how the Mass ends, right? You're sent, you, Mass is ended, but really what it says is you are sent, you are sent out. Why are you sent out? Because you have received love in order that you might be love in the world now. But, but the reception has to happen first. It's the primary. The, the reception is the primary because that's what it means to be a creature. And that's, in a sense, what it means to be God, too, because we know the Son and the Spirit, especially, who were made, uh, you know, made through the Son, as, as, as the scriptures say, that they are the, uh, their receptors themselves. They receive their being from the Father. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So one of my, um, one of my favorite moments in, in scripture is in, in the road to Emmaus, right? When, when the disciples, uh, for those to, uh, I'm sure most of you have heard the story, but you know, the disciples are walking along with Jesus. He's just risen from the dead. They have no idea who he is. Um, he breaks open the scriptures for them and then they go in and they invite him to come in with him. And he celebrates mass, right? He, he breaks bread. And as they leave, they said, we're not our hearts burning within us, right? As he opened the scriptures and, and that whole image of our hearts burning within us, you know, how do we, uh, how do we help our students, you know, like see that experience, like point them to that in the liturgy, because I don't know about you, but the most, I mean, you're, you're teaching cream of the crop kids, but I'm sure you might even he hear it at Benedictine some, some but not as you know, in high school, I heard a lot. Mass is boring. Like that's the biggest yeah. complaint. And you're like, 
how, how do we help them, you know, to see, you know, our hearts burning, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I would think it would have to be something like they've got to, you know, mass is not going to be entertainment in the way that they're used to, which is on-demand videos and video games, right? Um, but, but the assumption here, when that, that kind of a comment, the assumption is that the, the final end of man, the goal of man, the perfection of man, the happiness of man is entertainment, um, which it just isn't. It's this giving of oneself, right? And great line, I, I, I think it's from Chesterton has, a, a, he has a, a play, he wrote a play called Obedience or something like that. And in this play, he says, he says, everyone thinks the great adventure is to go out and do what you want. But he says, the real great adventure is obedience. And yeah. I think this is true too. I think the real adventure is entering into this love, um, which if one does it, you know, if one really recognizes what's happening, uh, it's not boring to love. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, you actually, I, 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 I speed up my point a little bit here. I was going to make that point here a little later. And um great minds think alike that yeah the mass <laughs> worship it's not entertainment right and i think um that's one of the big things that we can do as teachers is to help point our students and help them understand the difference between entertainment and then you know worship or right. uh, like true authentic worship um w which is what which is what the mass is um a couple other things that I think are really important, and 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 Jeremy, if you have other thoughts to to interject here, I, I'd love to hear them. But one of the big things is is to help our students see the profound spiritual meaning behind the mass. Uh, I had I actually had a colleague who used to, um, and I thought it was a really kind of beautiful assignment. She would make her freshmen um, create. Um, either artistically and they could have done it in a poem form or in a painting form. They had to communicate the spiritual reality of what was taking place at mass. So, um, so, so whether, you know, in some artistic way, communicate um, what's actually happening at the mass that we don't see that our eyes don't see, but in the spiritual world, what is taking place. Um, and, and I think to help students reflect on that and see that, um, is is really key to help helping them understand the meaning behind the mass. Um, I also think it's good to let them experience mass as often as possible. Um, so I'm a big fan of. So, so I'm not a big fan of. Um, uh, and if you do this, I'm not judging. But I'm not a big fan of like the teaching masses where like we're gonna do mass and like we're gonna explain what's going on at every section during like as the mass is going on. I, I really am a firm believer in do do that explanatory stuff. Yes, but do it in class and then just go have mass. Like just let them experience the maths without the, the like, Hey, we're going to stop now. This is the liturgy of the word. This is the, you know, and you know, that's, that's personal opinion. It's not that that's not allowed, but I think there is, um, there's something to be said for just here, here it is. Now let's go experience it. Let's just let mm -hmm. it unfold. Right. Let's just let it happen. Yeah. It seems. Um, I, I, and I also think that one of the greatest teachers of the glory of the mass is the beauty of the liturgy and the beauty of the gestures and, and the seriousness with which uh, people take it. So, you know, uh, I had my, my son served at a wedding very recently. Um, and one of the comments that we got was, I think they did a great job. And the reason I think that is because I didn't even realize that they were up there. 
and that's what it means to like enter into a mass is to 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 enter into something that was given to you by tradition um, in such a way that you you convey the reality of the whole experience of Christ that's been passed down. So I think you know that the beauty of the gestures and the beauty of the mass itself is um, is catechetical. Right. Right. Yeah. And and good liturgy is so important, like planning good liturgies and, and helping. And I know not everybody here necessarily has that kind of authority or power. Um, but, you know, if you, if you find yourself in that situation to really be intentional about, you know, the music we choose the, um, you know, but on the same token, I think the beauty of the mass is helping our students see, like, if they really get the mass, they can go to a, a parish experience horrible music, horrible preaching, and still come out enriched, right? Because if Jesus shows up, that's what's important, right? So not to diminish, like, yes, there is like preaching is important. Music is important. And and to not discount those, but like the goal is if, if we're spiritually mature and understand what really the mass is about, like, we get Jesus. And that's, that's the central, you know, most important thing, I think. Um, right. Yeah. Especially, you know, they always say that the, the high point of the mass is the reception of the Eucharist. So a worthy reception of the Eucharist is, is, uh, is more than any gesture could ever do. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I also think it's really, and this doesn't, this is, this is just a side note. Um, and I think this ties into, we were talking about, we've talked about, um, you know, at you know, adoration or worship versus entertainment. And I think one of the biggest things is if, if we want to help students understand the meaning of the mass and experience it well, um, teaching them to practice silence, like silence will predispose us to a better experience at mass. It will predispose us to a better experience of prayer. Um, and, and like you said, with their, with the technology and the short videos and the constant like stream of information and the constant noise, it's, it, it, it is a challenge. It's a challenge to experience mass. And it's no wonder we, because of our culture, it's no wonder we see, you know, declining mass attendance and, and people not, not fully getting it because there's no interior life outside of mass. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. Know, I think that's, I think that's important. And I also think recognizing that the fact that dialogue with God, what prayer is, 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 is dialogue with a person, right? Or with three persons, you could, you could say. Um, I, too often, I think people reduce prayer to sort of saying words that you're not really thinking about. And, and, and I hope you don't do that with your, with your wife, Jose, because that would work very well in a loving relationship. And, and so I think that that, but I don't think that that kind of a, a thought can come into mind um, unless someone has time to, to be silent. I always tell my students, you know, uh, I always see the students walking around with their headphones in wherever, whenever they have a chance, they're walking with headphones in. And I said, you know, you can listen to your headphones after class, but what's going to happen is you're going to stop thinking about what we talked about. You know what they did in the old days? They walked all the way to their dorm room and you know what they did? They thought. (laughs) And that helps you to know and to love the beauty of the world and of God. And, 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 and that's, I, I totally agree with this. Silence is essential for that. Right. I once heard a great analogy um, because, you know, we do consider mass, obviously, with the obligation to it, to it, like, the you know, this high point, like it's, it is the highest form of, 
of worship that we have. But for mass to be fruitful, there has to be a relationship and a prayer life that exists outside of that. And, and the analogy that, that, that a friendship that I thought was actually a quite brilliant analogy was um, if you're good friends with somebody, right. And, and you get invited to their wedding or their like, or a big, you know, 50th birthday party or whatever, that's not where the relationship is built, right. You're not, um, you don't go to those celebrations and, and your, your relationship then grows as a result, right? Your relationship has grown from it being cultivated from, from the coffees or the beers that you had together or, or the whatever, the spending quality time together. And then when you go to their wedding or their 50th you know, birthday celebration or their, another big celebration or moment in their life, there's a, a much there's a greater sense of joy and elevation in those moments yeah. because of what you shared before. So I, I think similarly with our Lord, with, with, with our relationship with Jesus is the, the mass, which it is a wedding feast is the wedding. And like, it, it's the wedding feast. It's, it's the celebratory moment, mm-hmm. but the fruitfulness of the experience we get from that comes from the relationship we've built you know, yeah. In a sense, you, 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 even the word celebration seems to be pointing to that. What am I celebrating? I'm celebrating what has been and what is now because of this relationality that has that has been steady, steady throughout the years, right? And, and I think that uh, the mass is is like that. Now it is, it is, is it is a deepening of that for sure. But it's also a celebration of 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 what's already happened, both in your baptism. And the fact that you exist at all, right? Which is already this relationality with God. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Um, so, um, yeah. Thank you. Such great thoughts. Do you have any other, um, any other insights or any other, other, any other shot thoughts to share with us specifically about the mass? Oh gosh, like a billion, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let me say two things real quick. Uh, I, I would highly recommend that people experience other kinds of liturgies too. There are Eastern Catholic churches out there that have different liturgies that are, are shockingly different, um, but beautiful. Um, uh, that uh, actually being in Pennsylvania, I've been able to go to some Ukrainian churches um, and I've been very excited about that. Uh, there's the old form of the mass, which is very cool too, which I would suggest using or, or, or entering into. Um, and I think it will help you kind of cultivate a, an understanding of what the meaning of mass is seeing it in a new perspective. Um, there's a great story, I'll end with this, is uh, the, when St. Vladimir, who became the first Russian uh, to become baptized, sent his envoys to Constantinople uh, because he, he, what he was originally doing was just trying to get married with one of the emperor's daughters so they could form an alliance, right? Uh, and the emperor said, yeah, you can marry her, but you gotta, you gotta drop all your other wives and you gotta get baptized. And he, he wasn't sure about that. I guess, I guess he thought the girl was pretty awesome because he did do it in the end. But he asked his envoys that went there to go meet with the emperor about this. He said, he said well, what happened? And they said, well, we went to this thing called the divine liturgy, the mass. And he said, well, tell me about it. He said, and, and the line that they quote from these two envoys is, we didn't know whether we were in heaven or on earth. And I think that that, that, experience that they had at that liturgy is something that we should be experiencing at every liturgy that we enter into.
Yeah, that's great. Um, I think it's important when you say that, that mass entering into mass is also an act, like it takes active engagement from right. us. We can't just expect that we're going to know whether we're on heaven and our earth if we just show up and sit there passively, right? We have to actively, it's an act of the will in a sense to enter into right. that to that to that yeah it's what the church calls uh, you know throughout her documents calls active participation right right it's an active an active disposition to receive everything from god right right i i think a lot of times what's gotten lost is active participation people interpret that as oh you just sing or you sign up to lecture or eucharistic minister but right. active participation is the i'm i'm bringing my whole mind body and soul into this worship experience right, right. i'm going right. to actively engage the divine mysteries um, yeah it's the total giving of yourself right there right right um to this is kind of fun and i know I'm, i might be catching you off guard here so if you don't have a if you don't have a good answer <laughs> i totally respect it but uh, <laughs> what what I, I i i've i've been liking to ask ask some of our of our uh guests that come on what is that do you have like is there a movie or a piece of literature or just something that you love that that you could use in an analogous way to to yeah. teach about the mass or that that would just be um so so something maybe within pop culture that's a great way to kind of actively engage you know the kids we we teach like you know that oh use this little clipper or read this this book that that'll help make analogies to the mass etc <laughs> uh your use of the word little is 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 bad for me uh yeah. <laughs> two suggestions that i have which are some of the most profound the things that have affected me then i've seen them affect students before is uh, dostoevsky's brothers karamazov which i think is big about love uh, but it's also a thousand pages <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, the movie that I thought of immediately was the movie A Hidden Life about Blessed Franz Jagerstadter, which is about three hours um, and one of the deepest, hardest movies I've ever seen. But if you want to know what love is, it's it's that movie. It's beautifully done. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's um, if you want to get like a week off teaching, you could just like show that the whole week. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. That's great. Um, well, thank you so much for, for sharing thoughts with us and, and joining us this evening. Uh, we're, we're, we're grateful that, that you took the time and um, grateful for your, for your thoughts. Thanks um, for inviting me. This has been fun. Absolutely. Um, so just to share with everybody else, um, if you want to dig a little deeper on this topic, we are going to do a more traditional virtual workshop on it. Um, on Tuesday, February 9th, um, from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, the cost for this one is going to be, there is a cost for that one at 999 because it's a two-hour session um, and there's interaction and you get more lessons. Um, and you the there we are running a little promo code for anybody who's listening to Christ in the Classroom. If you put in the code CITC50, you can get 50% off of this one. Um, and that code's also going to work. We've got other virtual workshops. We've got... Um, three total scheduled that are for pay. But uh, if you're a Christ in the classroom participant, you can, you can get 50% off of, of those, uh, of those uh, and join us. Um, next week, we'll be back on February 2nd. Um, I know that for live people, there's a little bit of a confusion. I, I had a couple of people think that we were meeting last night. Um, 
please note and look at the schedule on our website. Um, the time is always the same, but the day of the week shifts occasionally, mostly Tuesdays, but we've got some Mondays and some Thursdays when we're live. Our special guest ne next week will be Dr. John Mark Miravalli from Mount St. Uh, Mary Sem Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and we'll be looking at um, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving um, as we surprisingly lent is like super close which is which is crazy we got an early lent this year so um, we're going to be looking at that if you need a pd certificate for this one or any other episode sophia institute for teachers.org slash citc certificates is what you want to visit fill out the form submit it and as a reminder we uh, distribute PD certificates on the 1st and the 15th of every month. So for this episode, as long as you get your um, certificate filled out by the last day in January, then you will get it on the 1st of February. Um, for free lessons on today's topic, as well as the topics we've covered um, the other weeks, um, there is one free lesson that we share with you all on the theme, um, sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC lessons. Um, you can find there, um, they're posted there. Um, and then please subscribe and give us a review uh, if you if you like what you're what you're hearing. Um, you can listen to us on uh, podcast format if you ever can't join us live, um, Spotify, um, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google, Google Podcasts. We're on YouTube and on Vimeo for the video recordings. Subscribe there and, and, and give us a review. You can also follow Sophia Institute for Teachers on Facebook and Twitter for announcements um, regarding Christ in the Classroom. Um, and please feel free to uh, explore other resources that we have, sophiainstituteforteachers.org. We have lots of free resources for teachers. Um, um, monthly e-lessons that are available for free, um, as well as other, other great resources. We invite you to check it out. Thank you all so much for, uh, for listening and joining us. And thanks again, Dr. Sienkiewicz. It was uh, great having you on. Um, God bless you all and have a wonderful week. Thanks for, thanks for listening to Christ in the Classroom. Thank you for participating in this week's episode of Christ in the Classroom. In order to request a professional development certificate, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC certificates. In order to access the free lesson with today's theme, as well as show notes, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC lessons. Thank you and God bless you.